parents, parents, we should be thinking frequently about, am I affirming my child? And I know sometimes we think, affirming them for what? They just keep doing all the wrong things. I would if they did something right. Well, you got to start working small if that's the case. But you know what? Find the things that you can affirm. Wow, you woke up today. Good job. There's some kids that want to stay in bed all day. So you did a good job. Way to go, getting up out of bed. We're not even going to look at the clock. We're just going to start with the fact that you got out of bed. If you got to start there, you know, and then it, it's just, it, it is common. I don't know why it is. I, I think a lot of it is probably cultural to us in the United States, uh, but also just as humans to really harp on the negative. Why can't you do this? Why did you do that? How come you always do this? And then when they do the right thing one time, it's like, all right, way to go. You finally did something right. No, that is not affirming. Do you understand? Now, I'm talking about parents and children right now, but husbands and wives, you should be affirming your spouse. This is not just a parenting thing. If you're married, you need to be thinking, have I affirmed them? Have I said you're doing right? You're doing the right thing. I appreciate when you do the right thing. Or are we just stuck in, just like the parenting? How come you always, or why don't you ever? You understand? Don't make me stay here please. <laughs> Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. Amen. 1 Timothy 2 3 it says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of of God our Savior. Verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved. God, our Savior, will have... Now that doesn't mean it's going to happen. That means it's what He wants to happen. You understand? If it meant that it's going to happen, where we, we just go and do whatever we want to do and He's going to save me in the end no matter what. No, that's not what it means. God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God's will is for every man to be saved. And God's will is for every person to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hear me, those are not necessarily synonymous. Because, even though it's His will for everyone to be saved, everyone's not going to be saved. Because they have their own will and their own choices and their own life that they can choose whether they're going to do what they should be doing or not to be saved. But, all will. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Everybody, saved or unsaved, living a holy life or living a devilish life, everyone will come to the knowledge of the truth. That he's not just out there wishing, well, I, I, I wish I could get the truth across to them. I don't know why... They, they just, uh, they aren't listening. They aren't obeying. They aren't, they aren't even recognizing. No, trust me and trust the word of God. Everyone will come to the knowledge of truth. The sooner you do, the better. Amen. The sooner you come to the knowledge of truth, the better. 
I promise you that. But even if you are not going to be saved, you are at least going to know the truth. Now, if you're in this room today, you feel the spirit of truth and you're knowing the truth by sitting and standing here in this room. He is expressing himself to us. He does this quite frequently for us. We ought to be thankful for that. But I, to, to know him is not necessarily the same thing as to obey him or to trust him or to follow him. We use this term Christian so much today and most people would say it's, well, you're either to be like Christ or a follower of Christ, okay? Um, it's not the same thing to know Christ as it is to follow him. Just, again, you will know the truth. I want to I speak for a little bit today. I believe the Lord wants to talk to us some about this idea. When God speaks to the heathen. Go, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a chapter here, a short one. And I'm going to read it from a different translation. But you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about... Uh, the, uh, Eli and then his sons Hophni and Phinehas remember that and, and that's when Samuel became introduced into the topic the, the prophet Samuel he heard the voice Samuel, Samuel and the Lord speaks to him remember that story and that was Eli and those were his sons that was just a few chapters before what we're going to read right now because we know, and if you remember, those boys were not living right. They were not doing the right thing. Even though they were in the house of God regularly, they weren't living like it. They go into a battle. I'm going to skip over the, the, the uh, highlights. But they go into a battle after that word is given. And they die. And word reaches uh, Eli and he dies and part of that battle what happened was the Ark of the Covenant the, the covenant box was taken see the Philistines who were against God's people came to fight them and God's people thought we're not, we're not doing so well but if we take the Ark of the Covenant this is the thing that represents where the presence of God is. We get that out there with us on the battlefield and we're definitely going to win. They got it out there, but they definitely didn't win. The Philistines won the battle, took the box, the Ark of the Covenant again, which is what represented the presence of God. And they, they take it and they decide... These are like our spoils. These are, this is kind of like what we get to take from our enemy because we won. After, this is reading verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Samuel. After the Philistines captured the covenant box, they carried it from Ebenezer to their city of Ashdod. They took it into the temple of their god, Dagon. And set it up beside his statue. I don't know why they do that. That's not a smart move. But they did it. And they've got all their temples and all their different gods. And they go into this temple of the god Dagon. Where he's got a statue. And they say we're just going to. Maybe this is a temporary holding place. Until we can get another palace built for this one. But in the meantime we're just going to put this statue right here. Put the, put the covenant box next to this statue. Early the next morning, the people of Ashdod saw that the statue of Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground in front of the Lord's covenant box. So they lifted it up and put it back in its place. 
I don't know, maybe that happened a lot. Maybe it had never happened before. But either way, they weren't really thinking about relating the two. Maybe some of them were like, I don't know, this is getting kind of creepy. But, you know, let's just lift him back up, the statue. And they go throughout the day, and they come back the next day. The statue had fallen again in front of the covenant box. This time, its head and both its arms were broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the body was left. That is why, even to this day, the priest of Dagon and all his worshipers in Ashdod step over that place and do not walk on it. Well, at least that story made it through the lore, right? The Lord punished the people of Ashdod severely and terrified them. He punished them and the people in the surrounding territory by causing them to have tumors. When they saw what was happening, they said... The God of Israel is punishing us and our God, Dagon. We can't let the covenant box stay here any longer. So they sent messengers, called together all the five Philistine kings and said, What are we going to do with this covenant box? The God of Israel. They said, Take it to Gath. So they took it to Gath, another Philistine city. But after it arrived, the Lord punished that city too and caused a great panic. He punished them with tumors, which developed on all the people of the city, young and old alike. So they sent the covenant box to Ekron, another Philistine. You see, you get the picture? The box is making its place from one place to the next place to the next. And everywhere that, what, what did I say this, the box represents? It represents the presence of God. Everywhere that the presence of God went, from this town to this town to this town, everybody that lived there is getting sick. Physical manifestation of sickness is happening to these people. And they kind of go, okay, it has, I think it's got something to do with that box. Because you guys had the box first and you got sick first. You gave it to them, they got sick. They gave it to us, now we're sick. This isn't COVID. This is the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of God. What I told you is I want to talk about when God speaks to the heathen. The heathen is somebody that doesn't know God or doesn't obey God. They sent the box to Ekron, another Philistine city. When it arrived, the people cried out. They have brought the covenant box of the God of Israel here in order to kill us all. So again, they sent for all the Philistine kings and said, Send the covenant box of Israel back to its own place so that it won't kill us and our families. There was panic throughout the city because God was punishing them so severely. Even those who did not die developed tumors and the people cried out to their gods for help. Now, that's all of 1 Samuel chapter 5. I would get in trouble if I tried to keep going with this story because to me it gets too humorous to just get up and talk about in front of you all. And I don't want to lose you and your focus. But if you'll just allow me for a minute, now that the, the covenant box has made its way through the whole... Uh, area, the whole town, all the countries of the Philistines, they're thinking, what are we going to do? We, we clearly have made a mistake here. We were not supposed to take this thing. He's not our God. He's their God, and we whooped them. But, yeah, I don't think we want to necessarily take this. I don't know where this came from. I wish I could go back and just observe the, the meeting where they talked about what to do next now that they realize this. But these five kings of the Philistine cities, areas, they meet together and they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make five golden models of these tumors that are showing up on people. And we're going to make five golden mice, models of mice, 
you know, we can't just send the box back. We got to send a box with gifts. So send it back, you know, and let them know thanks, but no thanks. We honor you. We appreciate you. We recognize that you are weird people. And your God does strange things. So, so they make those models of those things. They, they wrap them up. They, they say, get two bulls, uh, two, two oxen, whatever they are, that have never been ridden before. And we're going to put them on this direction. Nobody's going to ride them. Nobody's going to you know, move them. We're just going to see what they do. And if they, when they get out of town with these things on them, if they head this way, that means, yeah, that was the God of Israel, and they're just going to go on off there. If they head the other way, we're just going to have to get better doctors here or something. So they're watching. It's just amazing. These are literally the five kings of the Philistine countries watching those cows. Uh, which way are they turning? Oh, no, they're headed back towards Israel. They really, that really was God. Whew. Okay, let's get back to our stuff. And then, yeah, that's what happened. The, the, the box shows up into the town, uh, uh, Bathsheba, I think it was, or one of those, and now God's presence is back with his people. But what was that about? Why would the Philistines see and go through something like that to where they see when the presence of the God of Israel showed up, he started messing up our stuff, messing up our lives, messing up our statues, the things that we hold dear, the things that we celebrate and even getting into our personal health. And I'm not interested in that. It's not very much unlike the plagues that God sent on Egypt when he sent Moses in to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. If, I'm, not, I'm not taking the time today, but if you look through it, ten plagues, all these things, including physical manifestation of sickness like what happened there. Boils on the skin. Ugh. What is going on here? What's going on is God is trying to talk to heathen people. People that don't know Him. Don't believe in Him. Don't understand Him or His ways. Furthermore, in Egypt's case especially, but with the Philistines too, not only do they not understand him, they are trying to overrun his people. The Egyptians put him in slavery. The Philistines went to war with them, battle after battle. And we're talking about tens of thousands of lives lost. Why? Because we don't like your God. We like our gods. God says, okay, well, I've got something to say about that. Let me speak to them. Let me talk to these heathen people. Exodus chapter 14, verse 17. I want to read just a couple of verses. This is after the plagues, after the, the children of Israel, Israel were let go, and then Pharaoh starts to pursue them. They've gotten to, Moses and the children of Israel have gotten to the edges of the Red Sea. And they're running away, they think, but they've got nowhere further to go. So Moses, the Lord tells Moses, here's some instruction. Lift your staff out over the sea. I'm going to split the waters. You're going to walk through them. And then he says right here, And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. You got to remember, you got to realize at this time, at this uh, place in history, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. It was the most powerful kingdom. Pharaoh was the most powerful man. 
And the Lord is saying, He thinks He's powerful. He thinks He's in charge. He thinks He's in control. I'm going to get honor on Pharaoh and all of his army. Next verse. This is why. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That's why. Not just because I don't like Pharaoh. Not just because I want to prove a point. I want them to know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and his horsemen. I started the reading in 1 Timothy. The will of God is for everyone to be saved and for everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord's looking at the nation of Egypt and saying, these people don't know me. These people have had an abundant chance to get to know me. Like, every time they see a frog from now on, they're going to remember me. Every time it gets dark, they're going to remember me and hope that the sun comes up again the next day. But their proof through their leader, Pharaoh, was even when I did all that to get my people out, they decided, no, I'm greater, I'm in charge, I'll go work against that. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Go to Judges chapter 7. Again, I'm just going to give you a couple of verses as the highlight of this story. Judges chapter 7 verse 13. This is the story of Gideon. Gideon, an Israelite. In his day, he was being, his, his people were being overrun by Midianites and Amorites. Kind of like the Philistines. They just don't like God and his people, and they want to overrun them. So an angel shows up to Gideon. You're in charge. You're going to lead a battle, and you're going to defeat the Midianites. But while this was taking place, they decide to set up a rule. They decide to set up a, a camp and take on Gideon and his men. The Lord decides, I need to speak again to these heathens. I need to let them know who I am. I, you know what? It's my will that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. So Gideon goes down. It says, Behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. Gideon and some of his servants go into the camp of the Midianites. Because the Lord said, If you don't just trust that I'm going to give you the battle give you the victory go down and listen to what they're saying so they sneak down they hear at night this behold there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said behold I dreamed a dream and lo a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian the host is the army the, the, I think it was uh, tens of thousands, if I remember right, of the hosts of army. So that's got to be a big piece of bread to roll into, to tumble into, not just one soldier, the host, the whole army. This, my dream, oh, my dream, a giant breadstick rolled down the hill and it wiped us all out what do you think of that oh man I wish you wouldn't have told me that first of all it smote or it tumbled into the host of Midian came unto a tent smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay long verse 14 his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Now, just picture Gideon. All right, come on, guy. 
We're going back up to get the army ready. All 300 of them. Why? Because the Lord spoke to the heathen through a dream and said, your days are done. I am the Lord. God of Israel. Think about that phrase for just a moment. God of Israel. I, I heard it put this way. I, I really like the, the way I heard it phrased because I've been reading the Bible, studying and hearing the Bible since I was a kid. And I just, I just assume it's kind of our book. It is our book. But from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation, it's truly the story of Abraham. And then the promise made to Abraham. Because the Lord said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And then all these other books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, keep it going. All of those are telling the story of the great nation that came from Abraham. And interwoven into the stories of the great nation of, Ab of Abraham that the Lord made are the details like we're seeing today where people that don't know God or don't honor Him or don't fear Him, they come in contact with Him and they don't leave the same. They don't really get to just say, well, He must be like one of these other gods. No, because He proves time and time and time again I am the Lord. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Acts chapter 19. Now, just so you don't think we're only talking Old Testament here. Going to the book of Acts. That's in, that's in our time. It's in our day. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. You've probably heard this story before. We call it the seven sons of Siva. They go into a room where a man is possessed with a demon, and they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul serves, I command you to come out. And the demonic spirit says, no. Well, he said more than that. But that's the gist of it. And he gets up. He whips those boys. They run, fearing. Why? Part of what happened was the spirit said, I know Jesus. And I know Paul. But I don't know you. Hear me. The spirits are one step ahead of the heathen because they already know the truth. The Lord's will is that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. The evil spirit already knows the knowledge of the truth. He's been there since the beginning and knows him. So then in that instance, he just knows you guys are not coming here with the authority that I have to listen to. All that story, I want you to get here. So Acts 19 and 17. This, what I just said, this story, was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. That's where this happened was Ephesus. And notice, it doesn't just say all the Jews heard about this. It doesn't just say all the Greeks heard about this. All the Jews and Greeks, that's everyone, because you were either a Jew or a Greek living there. Fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Oh, that, mm, mm, mm. that evil spirit didn't even know what he was getting himself into. 
Because what he just did was allow for the spirit, the, the name of the Lord Jesus to be magnified. There, there was not a great, out, it wasn't like, okay, they go and get 10 more guys and they come in and then they cast him out. No, it's just they went running, screaming, defeated. But in their defeat, they also heard the formula for the victory. I know Jesus. That's what got spread about the town of Ephesus. What's happening? The Lord is speaking. The Lord is speaking. Well, no, that was the evil spirit speaking. No. The Lord is speaking to the town. Go to the next verse. Verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. <laughs> I heard about what happened over there with that guy, with those people in that house. I don't want that happening in my house. I'm going to confess. That's what it says. Whatever. Maybe, maybe they grew up with the guy that had the spirit. And they were around him enough to know, I don't want to be like that. I want to make sure that's not me. Would you help me? I'm going to let you know they showed their deeds. This is what I've been doing. I've been involved in this. Kind of some of the same stuff as that guy. I want to make sure that what's happening to him doesn't happen to me. Go to the next verse. Many of them... Now, pause for a second, because I just think this is funny. I, I, I didn't study this one closely enough to see, is that only talking about the Greeks, or only talking about the Jews, or is it talking about some of both? I promise you, whoever was dwelling in Ephesus was dealing with this stuff, either directly or indirectly. Some of them, trying to be holy and righteous, just walked past it every day. Others drawn into it given to it desiring it many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men you can't keep doing what you've been doing once the Lord starts dealing with you and that goes for heathen or saved You can't just be comfortable going on about your evil business that you don't know that, or that you didn't know was wrong. Many of them. Uh, I just want to talk to Yakima for a second. Yakima. Our town. Because, yeah, we don't necessarily classify everybody here as Jew or Greek. But I would classify everybody here as either working on being saved or not caring about being saved. Okay, is that fair? I didn't say anything about gender, race, age. You're either working on being saved or you don't care about being saved. So in Yakima, there are those working on being saved and those that don't care, don't know, don't think about it, it's not even on their radar. I believe as time keeps ticking in our area right here, the Lord is going to start dealing with people and then it's going to get their attention. But not only that, it's going to get the attention of the friends, the neighbors, the family members. And they're going to say, did you hear about so-and-so? Do you remember that guy, that girl? What they used to be like, what they went through? Oh, I think the Lord's doing something here. This is just the form. I told you this is our time. This is not Old Testament. This is our time. And there are, mm, there are places in this town that need to go out of business. Many. Not just one or two. It's not my job to go knock on the door and say, hey, did, have you read your Bible? But what I see and what I feel in the Holy Ghost is the Lord is very well aware of those locations, those activities, and He says, I can speak to the heathen. 
I can speak to the heathen. My will is that all would be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. The second one's going to happen. The first one, I hope, happens. Many of them brought, which all, many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. I would be going through my house and saying, if I ever saw that guy carry one of these books, I'm getting that one rid of right now. I'm taking that one out right now. Anything that he was involved in, I'm making sure is not on my shelf. Burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them, and they found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Isaiah 45, 22. I think this is going to be my last passage. Isaiah 45, 22. This is the prophet Isaiah. He's writing the words of God Almighty. Look unto me, and be ye saved. Who is he talking to? Keep reading. All the ends of the earth. Look unto me, and be saved. All ends of the earth. This is not just about my chosen people, the, the Israelites. This is not just about them and their friends and neighbors. This is about all people, all ends of the earth. You know this as well as I do. The promise is unto you and your children and to all that are afar off. Look unto me and be you saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God. And there is none else. You know what? I don't even... Somebody's out there thinking, who is he to say who he is? Any of those other gods are free to start talking at any time. Go ahead. If you are, and you think you are, self-proclaimed, we're listening. It's not happening. I'm just, there's an attitude. That says, oh, God can't self-proclaim himself God. My answer to that is, are the other gods self-proclaiming themselves God? I don't think so. No, you had somebody come and knock on your door. Hey, have you heard about such and such tea leaves? I'm just kidding. No, that, that's propaganda is what that is. God is saying, I am God. No other God. I am God. Look to me, all ends of the earth, and be saved. The next verse. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow Every tongue shall swear. I read this, and, and again, in I think it's in Romans, uh, Paul writing reflects on this particular passage. This is not the same. Hear me, I'm almost done. I just want to make this one point. Philippians is where it says, he, God hath exalted him, given him a name above every other name, that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's a separate phrase. I mean, it's true, and it's the same. It's the scripture. It's the truth. But here, he's saying, I'm God, and everyone is going to bow, and every tongue shall swear or confess. I was reading that, and I thought, okay, what's the next verse say? Nothing more about this. He moves on to his next thought. So I go back, and I say, okay, what? Shall confess what? Shall swear what? If you're saying, I've said it out there into the universe, and it's true, and it's not going to come back, every knee is going to bow, and every, every tongue is going to swear, I felt like this is what the Lord said. Because I'm talking not only about us, but when God talks to a heathen. 
when God calls a meeting with you, you don't get to choose the topic. That's, that's, the, that's the end of, this, of, this, of the thought there. Every tongue shall swear. You're going to start talking. <laughs> it's not like Remy's those old Western movies. You better dance, right? Oh, no, no, no. Every tongue is going to swear. The Lord is showing up, whether it's one at a time individually or to groups or to nations, to families, to whatever it is. He's showing up and saying, start talking. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going, oh, start talking. Okay, uh, well, let's see. I prayed, I think I was about eight years old. Um, now I'm 32, yeah. But uh, I, I remember I went to Sunday school. No, stop talking. You don't get to choose the topic. Start talking. Oh, okay, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed. No, stop talking. Start talking. What do you want me to say? Exactly. You're asking me. Why are you asking me? Because I'm God Almighty. I am the Lord. All the Philistines shall know. All the Midianites shall know. All the Egyptians shall know. All the Americans shall know. Everyone shall know. Would you stand with me? I don't know how many people, I, I know there are a number of people, a number of people that live through their life delaying the conversation with God. I don't want to talk about that right now, Lord. I know you're speaking. I know you're trying to get my attention. I know you want to do all these things. I'm not ready for that conversation. I know that you want me to know the truth. I don't really feel like I'm desiring to know the truth right now. I'm good where I'm at. In, in Philippians, it does say, every knee of things in heaven and in earth and things under the earth shall bow. There is no alternative. Please hear me. There is no alternative to confessing that Jesus is Lord. There is no alternative to speaking back to Him when He starts speaking to you. Would you just close your eyes all across this room? There, there's several different individuals here in this room that are at different stages of the things that we've talked about today. Hopefully, hopefully all of us in this room are, are among that group of wanting to be saved, trying to be saved. I believe you are. I don't think you would be here if that's not you. I'm not worried about when and how God's going to talk to this nation or that nation. I just know that He will because we've seen it time and time again in Scripture. But I am worried about what's He saying to me? Is He talking to me? Is He calling me? Because the question, I don't get to choose. He's God. He has said it Himself, sworn by Himself. I'm going to call this conference between you and me, every person in the world that has ever lived. I'm going to call this conference between you and me. And we are going to talk about what I want to talk about. There's a song we sing sometimes. It says, let's start right now. Why should we wait?
I feel that in my spirit. That the Lord is giving this invitation. He's calling this meeting to order between you and him. And he's saying, you want to start talking about this now? Do you, are you ready to let me speak to you? Are you ready to let me have this conversation with you about you? you if you would find a place to pray. The altar is open. This front is open. If you want to stand or kneel there at your chair, whatever, but I'm asking you to find a place to pray because the Lord is desiring to speak to us. I know I'm not trying to call anybody a heathen here, but we've seen the word of God and we want to hear from him. We want to know his voice. Would you speak to the Lord? Would you pray? Come on, just lift your voice to God. And when he speaks, let your ear be listening to him.
asking you if you would just as we're continuing to pray if you would be sensitive to the Lord be sensitive to the Lord and if you feel led to go and find someone to pray for I believe it I'm telling you I know the Lord wants to minister through individuals in this room right now and there are others that need ministry come on that's not a rude statement I'm not trying to call anybody out but there are people that need the Spirit of God to minister to them in their situation. If you would, if you would just be sensitive, allow the Lord to lead you. Find someone to pray for. Find someone that the Lord can minister through to you. Come on, let's continue to pray. Let's continue to seek the Lord here right now.
simple statements like I did about yeah there's businesses that need to be closed and things that don't need to be happening I don't know if anybody felt this but I could I could I could understand how somebody might say aren't you afraid to say something like that aren't you afraid to make statements like that and what happens if this and that and let me just I'm just trying to help you I'm not afraid because I know the only other things that I'm going to do about that are spiritual things. What I mean by that is praying as he leads me to pray. I'm not going to go pick up a sign and pick it out somebody's business door. I'm going to act according to the spirit, the way the spirit would lead me. And that's important. And even that, now I hear somebody saying, oh, well, aren't you afraid that's going to make you a target? Or put a target on your back. To that I say, I've already got one on my back, and you should too. Oh, if you don't, why not? I know that sounds strange. But you... Trust me, if, if there is no one else after you, the Bible says your adversary, the devil, is after you. That's a target on your back. And it's after you. Some of us, he's catching up. So no, I'm not worried, I'm not afraid, I'm not... Why? Because I'm acting as according to the leading of the Holy Ghost. Only that. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for your presence that we feel here. I'm thankful for your anointing, God. I'm thankful for your word that speaks to us. Jesus, I pray, give us wisdom. God, those that are in desire to be saved, God, lead them, I pray. Lead them by your voice, by your word, and by your spirit, Jesus. I know there are many people in this room, God, they're wanting to be saved and they're just looking for the next thing to do, the next step to take, the next prayer to pray. I pray, Lord, that you lead them and guide them by your spirit. Lead them into all truth, God. Let the Holy Ghost lead us into all truth, I pray. We give you thanks, God. We give you praise. You are great. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things for you before you go. Next Sunday, Lord willing, my parents are going to be here. I'm asking, or I'm, I'm letting you know that because I've been asked by many people, when are they going to be here again? So next Sunday, prepare to see them, meet them if you haven't. It's going to be a good time. Also, keep Sister Pat in prayer this week. She's going to be traveling to go visit family. And so keep her uplifted, if you will, please. Amen. In Jesus' name, greet one another. You're dismissed.